Good evening. We're in Acts chapter 20. We find a very interesting episode. We see Paul in Troas. He's preaching there to the saints. He preached until midnight. And among the crowd of people there that day, that evening, there was one young gentleman who sat in the window and fell asleep. And as he fell asleep, he fell out of the window of this multi-story building to his death. Paul and the others rush out. The Bible says he was picked up dead. But Paul lays on him, and his life is restored. Many people look at that episode in the church, and they say, don't fall asleep in church. You know what happened to Eutychus? We use him as an example of how we are to stay awake. Maybe you've had an experience with sleeping in church. Some people maybe slumber because they're tired. They didn't get enough sleep the night before. Some people, like our mothers, maybe have had a rough night the night before, staying up with their little ones. Some people take medication or they're dealing with an illness. It makes it hard for them to stay awake. There are reasonable excuses for why people sleep in church, right? And then there are those who have no excuse. I mean, let's just be honest, right? I mean, I can remember in Cassville, Missouri, one of my dear friends, Doc Mikolai, he was a veteran, uh, a veterinarian in town, and uh, also a veteran, but a veterinarian in town, and he was asleep in one of the pews towards the front, I mean, drooling asleep. And afterwards, he came up to me and he said, Chris, that was a great sermon. I really appreciate that. <laughs> and little did he know that I can see everybody from up here. And I knew exactly that he wasn't paying attention. You know, I used to get worried by that. It used to bother me. Am I not interesting enough that people don't want to listen to me and they'd rather sleep? And the answer, answer to that is truthfully for some, yeah, I mean, probably so. But at the same time, I've realized that, you know, I can't control that. And so if people want to sleep, they're going to sleep. If they want to listen, they're going to listen, right? But there's a problem deeper than just sleeping in church that I want us to look at tonight. The story of Eutychus is one in which, you know, we, we look at it on the surface and we say, here's a guy who fell asleep in church and that'll teach you. But I think he gets a bad rap to some degree. I mean, you think about it. There were no child labor laws at this time. I mean, it is very likely that he had been working all day he was where he should be. Now, some might say, well, he was drugged there by his parents. We don't know that. But he was where he needed to be. He died at church listening to a sermon. I mean, that's a good thing, right? And so we give him a bad rap sometimes. Unfortunately, he's always going to be known for that one episode because we don't hear about Eutychus again. But I think we need to cut him a little bit of slack. But if we're talking about the church beyond these walls and not just a building, if we're talking about the body of Christ... Well, then sleeping in church is a real problem. Being a sleepwalker as a Christian is a real problem. You know, I heard the story one time about a song leader who, was, who had a tendency to fall asleep during the sermon. And he fell asleep while the preacher was preaching, and the preacher stopped for a dramatic pause, and he woke up thinking that the sermon was over, and he got up and started leading the invitation song. True story. Got up and started leading the invitation song. I know that we have some elders here, you know, that call me sometimes very late at night because they can't sleep. They said, Chris, could you preach me something? I, I have trouble sleeping. I need to fall asleep. And go online and watch the sermon if you can't fall asleep. 
But there is something greater here. Unfortunately, the church does have a problem with sleepwalking Christians. There are those who are in a spiritual slumber, and if they don't wake up, it's going to be to their own detriment spiritually. You know, we, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30, and we see where Paul reprimands the Corinthians for their abuse of the Lord's Supper. But within that context, I want you to notice his words. He speaks of their spiritual condition, which was underlying of all these other issues they had, including their abuse of the Lord's Supper. And he says, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Eutychus fell asleep during church, and it led to his death, but there are many people who have fallen asleep on God. And they're in this spiritual slumber, in danger of falling much higher than, than, than from the third-story window. We cannot afford to be a spiritual sleepyhead. Perhaps our interest has waned. Maybe, maybe we're sleepwalking through church because, uh, and through this spiritual journey because maybe we've been disappointed. Maybe we've been let down, we feel, by God. Or maybe our interest has just waned because we have other things that are taking priority. Life is getting in the way. Whatever it may be, whatever the cause of this spiritual slumber, we need to wake up to the fact that we are God's instruments, that he is using us to accomplish something great in this world, and we are needed to help further the cause of Christ. If not us, then who's going to do that? We need to recognize the great responsibility that has been laid upon us. In Romans 13 and 11, Paul wrote, it is already the hour to awaken from your sleep. If you are sleepwalking as a Christian right now, now is the hour to awake. Now is the hour to come out of that spiritual slumber. It's the time to answer that wake-up call and realize your full potential as a child of God. You know, we have several examples in Scripture that talk about being alert and being sober. In Matthew chapter 26, we find that Jesus takes his inner circle. You remember the inner circle, the inner three, Peter, James, and John? Many times he would escape with those three. And this time he is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is praying for the crucifixion is near at hand. And he says, my soul is grieved even to the point of death. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, your, your version may read. And so he takes the inner three with him and he, and he asks them to stay awake, to be on the alert. And he goes off and he prays. And apparently his words fell on deaf ears because he comes back and guess what? The three are asleep. And he says, could you not keep watch with me even for this, this time, this, for one hour? Apparently not. And you know, in some ways you can understand. I mean, you can understand Eutychus' situation, right? I don't know about you, but I go to bed at like 9 o'clock. I go to bed very early. I get up very early. If Paul's going to preach till midnight, I don't care how good a preacher he is, it's going to be hard to keep my attention. We have some great preachers in the brotherhood. Like You had Steve Clore this past week. I love listening to Steve Clore. Probably not till midnight, nor would you want to listen to me that long. And you think about these three, man, we don't know exactly the hour, but I mean, they could have been tired from a long day. We might could understand how they'd be sleepy. But Jesus goes off and he prays, and two more times he comes back and he finds them asleep. And he's telling them to be sober, to be watchful. Why? So they don't fall into temptation. You see, he knew what they were about to endure. He knew the apostles were about to see and be involved in things that they weren't quite ready for. 
as much as he had instructed them, as much as he had been with them, teaching them and leading them, he knew that they still weren't quite ready for what was about to happen. And how much do you think these words would have meant to Peter? You know, here's a guy who's going to deny Jesus three times, and Jesus knew that. Be watchful, be on the lookout, be sober, so that you don't fall into temptation. Don't fall into the temptation of leaving your faith, of falling asleep on God. Because, in a way, that's what Peter did, right? Really, that's what all the apostles did. In Jesus' time of need, they fled, they ran. And we can't excuse them by just saying that they they really didn't know what was going to happen, and so therefore they weren't fully prepared. In Jesus' darkest hour, they weren't there. They were sleeping, not literally, but in a spiritual sense. Peter may not have been alert before, but if you notice, Peter and the rest of the apostles, after Jesus' appearance, after his resurrection, after his ascension, you have a very different group of disciples, don't you? You have men that are no longer running from God or from Jesus. They're willing to take the gospel anywhere and everywhere and endure whatever it means to preach it. And Peter wrote this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter's speaking from experience, isn't he? He knew all about this. He's warning Christians, much like Jesus warned him in the garden, to be alert, be watchful. In other words, do not fall asleep because Satan is always awake. He's searching for ways to entice Christians to yield to temptation. And he describes the devil as a roaring lion seeking someone who is asleep because they're the easiest to devour. Eutychus fell asleep and consequently it fell. he fell to his death. Peter was in a spiritual slumber that caused him to fall as well. Like Eutychus, Peter hit hard. Like Eutychus, Peter's heart had stopped beating. It had stopped beating for Jesus, at least in that moment. Had it not been for his guilt and his shame, he may have never been brought back to life. But of course, we know that Jesus restored him. We read of that account in John chapter 21. But similar to what Paul did with that young boy, Jesus did with Peter. He revived him, and he returned him to service. Not long ago, I was watching this nature show on Discovery Channel. I like watching those shows like Planet Earth and some of those programs. And the study or the focus was on the beaver. Don't know why I stopped there and watched that. But it was interesting because the beaver's teeth will grow to, I mean, they'll just keep growing. If they don't, if they don't gnaw on things, they grow into the point where they'll grow and curve around and, and embed inside their head. And one of the things they do is they, they gnaw things down so that they can keep their teeth, you know, uh, uh, short because when they hibernate, obviously, they're not doing anything. Did you know beavers hibernate? They actually hibernate all winter. They spend all their time in the warm months eating as much as they can to build up fat reserves so that they can hibernate for three months. I tell you, that's pretty appealing, isn't it? Eat everything you want and then sleep. One thing I noticed about this, this show on beavers I never knew before is that when they hibernate, their heart rate slows to three beats per minute. That's about as close to death as you can get without actually being dead, right? And they are very vulnerable, obviously, at that time. They are pretty much dead. They're on death's doorstep. And so they're very susceptible to predators. And I liken that to how some Christians have a heart that's not beating very rapidly for God. They've turned to hibernation rather than full-on service to God. 
And when we do that, we're very susceptible to the devil, this roaring lion that is prowling around seeking someone to devour. There is nothing good that comes out of a spiritual slumber. You think about Jonah. Remember, Jonah ran from God in his instruction to go and, and preach to the Ninevites. He didn't, he didn't think that they deserved to be forgiven. And so he hopped a, a ship to Tarshish. There's this, this terrible tempest on the sea. It threatens to break the, the boat apart that he is on. The mariners get concerned. They cry out to their different gods. But where's Jonah through it all? He's in the lowest parts of the ship, and he's asleep. And of course, Jonah learns a hard lesson. You can't run from God, right? And so they go and they wake him up, and these mariners ask him what they should do, and they, they find out that, that Jonah is actually running from his God, and that's why this terrible, this tempest has come upon them. And Jonah tells them to throw him overboard, and it'll go away. They'll be safe. You ever thought about that? Jonah is actually telling these people, I am willing to die rather than go to Nineveh. Throw me overboard. I am willing to die in the sea rather than go and do God's will. Of course, God's purposes will not be thwarted. He sends this large fish that swallows Jonah, and from the belly of this great fish, Jonah prays one of the most beautiful prayers you'll find in all the Bible. In verse 9 of chapter 3, he says, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Being stuck in the belly of this fish was a wake-up call. It woke Jonah from his spiritual slumber, and it caused him to start serving. Now, of course, the book of Jonah does not end well, unfortunately, but God saw something in Jonah that clearly he didn't see in himself. God saw something in Peter that clearly he didn't see in himself. We look over and over again throughout the Bible at various characters, and we say, how in the world could God ever take them from where they were? Why would he ever use them? Why would he ever look at them to begin with and say, oh yeah, I can use that guy, Gideon, Moses, whoever it may be? Because God is in the business of using underdogs and seeing potential in people that may not even see the potential within themselves. And I'm afraid there are too many sleeping Christians who can't see or realize their full potential because they're sleeping on God. Their eyes are not open they're not awake to the reality that God uses men and women to accomplish his, his will, to accomplish His good purposes. And waking from a spiritual slumber means recognizing or realizing our full potential, realizing the kind of Christian that we can and should be, understanding that God sees what we can become, but obviously we have a part in that effort. Anytime you see God using these unlikely candidates throughout the Bible, they had to be involved in the process, did they not? They had to be awake to the reality that God was going to use them. They had to be obedient. They had to be willing to strike off and do what God was telling them to do. And we've got to do the same thing. Look, I'm, I'm afraid too many of us think that this church business is about coming every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and fulfilling an obligation, compartmentalizing it like we do everything else in life. Yeah, I have work, I have school, I have church. But you've heard me say this before, and this is something I'm very passionate about. 
I get the opportunity to go and speak at a lot of different places and a lot of different churches. And folks, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that many of the churches I have the opportunity to go and speak at are dying where they sit. And you know why that is? Well, there's a few factors. In some places, the church is dying where it sits because the, the town is dying where it sits. And that's just the reality. Some churches need to close their doors, to be quite honest with you. They've existed for many, many years without elders. They only have a few members, and there's a church just three or four miles down the road, and they refuse to close up shop and go there. But many, many of the churches that I've visited are dying where they sit because they only focus on what happens in here, and they don't focus at all on what happens outside of here. I told you before, I've been asked to, to speak at some churches. I got asked to speak at a congregation about five years ago in a small town. This congregation had about 40 members. All of them were 70 plus years of age. They've been Christians for many, many years. And they asked me to come speak on the topic of why we don't use instruments in worship. Is that a valid topic? Absolutely. Was it a valid topic for them? Maybe not at that time. How about we talk about how to reach your community? How about we talk about how you, can, how you can serve this community better in order to reach people and to grow this congregation? You see, we have to understand that it's not just about getting it right in here. We talk about being the first century church, and we need to get back to that. We need to get back to being the first century church. Well, the first century church, folks, was a lifestyle. It wasn't a meeting place. I think when we talk about being the first century church and going back to that, we think about getting worship right, and certainly that's part of it, but that's not the only thing involved. The first church was a movement. They were doing things. And I think, unfortunately, today we have a lot of sleepy Christians. They sleep on God, they sleep on their responsibility during the week, and then they come to church and they sleep here too. The success of the Lord's church doesn't just depend on what we do here. It depends on what we do out there. And we better be attuned to that. We better be willing to go out and to scatter and to fulfill what the church was supposed to be about, which is to preach the gospel, to be the agency by which the story of salvation was to be told. You know, I said this in the beginning, I think that Eutychus gets a bad rap. After all, he was in the right place at the right time. He died listening to God's word being preached. It's not a bad way to go. However, like it or not, Eutychus is going to be remembered for that one episode as someone who slept and it led to his demise. How are we going to be remembered? You know, I heard it said one time that when you entered this world, you were crying and everybody was smiling. Live in such a way so that when you leave this world, everybody's crying and you're smiling. I can tell you this, one of the things, the biggest thing that has gotten me through the last year or so here at Oldham Lane with all of the deaths and all of the tragedies that we've had here, the one thing that has gotten me through is the fact that, that most of the folks that we have had these funeral services for, all the members here that we have that I've conducted the funerals for were Christians. They were children of God. 
And that makes a sad occasion a whole lot happier, right? Live in such a way so that when you leave this earth, everybody else is crying, but you're smiling. Make an impact. Understand that you won't do that by sleepwalking. And I could give you example after example in my role as a minister of people who were here one day and gone the next. Who thought that they had more time, who were banking on tomorrow, that they were going to get their life right, that they were going to wake up. I can give you example after example of people who got a wake-up call by being diagnosed with cancer or some other debilitating disease or having some tragedy happen in their lives that woke them up and they began living in a godly direction again. But some people don't get that wake-up call. Some people are here one instant and gone the next. How will you be remembered? As a sleepy Christian? Or as someone who is fulfilling God's will by living out your potential? All right, I know you're getting sleepy, so I'll stop there. If we can help you tonight, especially to get back on track, if you're, if you're someone who needs to wake up to the reality of what of what God is trying to accomplish, not just in your life, but as the church, because those are two things that go hand in hand. I believe fully that God is working in your life right now, and He expects you to be carrying out His will in all things. And part of that includes being an integral part of the church. Don't sleepwalk on this. Awake to the reality that God is using you. If we can help you in that effort, if we need to pray with you, if you are ready to start this journey with Jesus and you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, then let's do that. But as we say every week, leave here right with God and ready to change the world. Come now as we stand and as we sing. Oh, with you, Jesus, my only hope.